Hello, and welcome to episode 4 of Quarantine the Past. My name's David Coleman, and I'm joined today by the usual podcast crew of Joe Rivers, Gabby Nirenberg, and Juan Rodriguez. This time we're going to break with tradition slightly and start by discussing some older music. Specifically, we'll be talking about old records that we've either recently discovered or rediscovered. I know we're supposed to be quarantining the past, but sometimes the urge to discuss some vintage power pop just becomes too irresistible. So let's kick things off with you, Gabby. What's your new old discovery? So uh, when I started sharing uh, new bands for old heads, which is really just this podcast in TikTok form, um, I got a ton of recommendations for a band that I never got into in the 90s somehow, like it just passed me by. Um, so that's what I discovered thanks to thanks to TikTok. Um, and that band is Failure. And the album is uh, Fantastic Planet from 1996. And honestly, I, having listened to it now, I have no idea how I wasn't listening to it then because it is everything that I was into back then. Like I just, which is great. Like I, it's, it's kind of, it's very Nirvana and Stone Temple Pilots and I don't understand how I wasn't listening to it. So um, I'm very excited. Um, so this was recommended to me a ton after I shared Cloakroom and everyone was like, this is just, this is just failure. <laughs> um, and I was like, all right, all right, I'll listen to it. So um, I'm very hype about it. But yeah, some things are just, we've talked about our gaps in, like a very random gaps in knowledge. And this is, this is definitely one of them. So, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not really a band I've, I've listened to either, actually. So it's a gap I share and we'll have to address. But I, I'm trying to ponder why that would be the case, I guess. Um, were they sort of more of a regional or national success um, or, or did they were they not a success at all is that is that why no i think they were pretty successful um they're american so i don't know maybe they just didn't come to the uk um i think they're from la but i don't know that they were like charting the same way that mm. the other like yeah. big alternative bands were but they were they were big enough maybe not like mtv big i don't know i don't necessarily know what i'm talking about because i didn't listen to them back then yeah. but they um they also didn't i think they kind of stopped in the mid to late 90s so that might be part of it like we weren't hearing more of them later so maybe they were a little shorter lived but I don't know. Unclear. Mm. I should do my research, but highly recommended. Great. Well, I think if anyone's got a chance of knowing more about them, it would be you, Juan. Was it something you were listening to? No, but what I, well, not as late as 2022, but Failure was one of those bands that also, funnily enough, I, I would watch MTV all the time during the 90s. But I don't really remember seeing any videos from Failure, and they do exist because I've seen them on YouTube, but I, I, I never had that sense of, I think it was later in college when I started like learning more about bands that were Failure adjacent that I really got into Fantastic Planet, and I had a friend who really liked them in, in college too. 
but I, I also kind of skipped them during that time in the 90s. And I'm not sure if it was because of lack of airplay or not, or maybe I wasn't paying attention or maybe they just never were never featured, uh, played live on under 20 minutes, which I might be completely wrong. But yeah, I kind of missed them during their prime as well. And then later it came back to them in the 2000s, so. I, I think your, your avenues for finding new music were different then. There was no, there, there, well, there weren't really music websites as such. You were reliant on magazines and, and where I lived, you had to kind of get pretty mainstream music magazines and then it was MTV and whatnot or friends or siblings yeah. or, or whatever so yeah if you missed it you missed it so that's uh, you know that's it's that's what we want isn't it new new recommendations for things to to plug those gaps it doesn't have to be new it just has to be kind of new and fresh to you doesn't it so thanks gabby um joe what did you what did you have for us um so i think i have for some reason, never really, really dug too deep into the back catalogue of Stereolab, despite claiming to be um, a big fan. And I think it's just because I just love Emperor Tomato Ketchup to the point that every time I feel like listening to Stereolab, I was like, well, that's that's the best record. I'm just going to go back to that. It's one of my favourite records ever. Um, and it kind of sort of, you know, it scratches the, the Stereolab itch all the time. And, but the... Um, last few months I've been listening a lot more to Dots and Loops, which I know is probably, it might even be their best known album apart from Emperor Tomato Ketchup, so it's not exactly a particularly strange and obscure choice. But yeah, it's great. It's like, it's the sort of first half of it is is just perhaps some of their most kind of melodic um, kind of work with the, and with a lot of harmonies. Um, it's got the, the Flower Called Nowhere on it, which is just a really, really fantastic track. But then as it gets goes on, it kind of actually does start to get into a little bit more um, experimental, especially with the kind of sounds and instruments being used. So yeah, it kind of progresses from a kind of more mainstream and then gets a little bit more sort of obscure and outre as it kind of goes on, which I, which I really like. Um, and uh, Ember Tomato Ketchup is always going to be my, my favorite. Um, and just any song off that is fantastic. Yes. But yeah, that dot, dots and loops. I don't know. I don't really know how I'd managed to avoid it, but for all this time, I feel like I kind of had listened to really early Stereo Lab and kind of thought, okay, this is fine. I can sort of see you can kind of join join the dots, no pun intended, and see how they're going to get to where they are. They are in the mid to late nineties, and then kind of very late Stereo Lab is just sort of fine. It's kind of it's, they're a bit sort of going through the motions, but yeah, that kind of mid to late nineties is sort of their sort of most creative period and yeah I just had always sort of fixated on the one album and never really sort of given the others from that period the the time of day and I'm not quite sure why and yeah so I would highly recommend a record that I'm sure all of you probably already know. I think I love I, Dots and Loops yeah. <laughs> I, I think we all do that with with bands yeah. that we discover retrospectively you don't you know if you're following them along you'll listen to each new album as it comes out but when you go back you you tend to just dive in at a certain point and yeah there is that danger that if you like it you'll just listen to that album over and over when you when you get the the call so yeah it's it's mm. interesting um i think it's because I, I got into stereo lab when i was about like i don't know 
uh, well, sort of probably in the middle of the noughties, actually around the time they broke up <laughs> when I got into Stereo Lab. Um, and again, we're talking about how you discover music at the time, it was, it was kind of, it was, I mean, the internet was obviously around, but it was pre-streaming. So my, I just used to buy Stereo Lab records when I found them in like um, secondhand record shops and stuff. So, so I ended up with like my Stereo Lab collection basically being Chemical Chords, which was their last album pre-breakup, which is pretty average. Emperor Tomato Ketchup, which I loved. And then like a BBC Sessions record and um, oh, what's it called? Like the group played Space Age Bachelor Pad music, which is like a really early EP. So I had like a very sort of, I mean, it spanned the career of Stereolab as at that time, but it was just a very, other than Emperor Tomato Ketchup, it's a very sort of random pick of records that you could have in in your collection and yeah this one that just i'd completely missed it until recently yeah that was the thing wasn't it you were kind of at the mercy of what the the store had had in and mm. if you were looking yeah. if you're looking for a band like stereo lab it wasn't going to be the catalog was it? it was going to be three or four random things that were in print yeah i kind of forgot about that but it, it's true you used to kind of go not with the aim of getting a particular album but just seeing what you could find mm. um can i can i include a bonus um choice which um might might be a bit more controversial because um again i don't know how it passed me by but um what everyone you know i'm sure historians will now realize this is the second best david bowie album but um young americans which i had not really got into until recently apart from the title track which obviously i knew yeah but um yeah my in my david bowie ranking system that that, that is that is second that is a surprise to me because I, I i think knowing what you like i i would almost assume that to be your favorite and something you'd been listening yeah. to for years it's just kind I of thought quick. you had mentioned that as your favorite david bowie record like a few times no uh, Low is my favorite David Bowie record. Huh. Um, closely followed by Young Americans, and then uh, you can, it's, I don't know, the rest are fine. I'm, I'm not a <laughs> the rest David fine. Bowie fan. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, David Bowie is so great that I think everyone in the on staff has like their own favorite David Bowie album, I think. Because I know Sean's favorite is Station to Station, too. And uh, what's yours, David? Now I'm curious. <laughs> uh, I would say low as well, probably. But I think you can basically just throw a dart at the the seventies records, yeah. and, and anything is 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 great. Yeah, I I also like Young Americans as well. I think it's really it's just so bold as well, isn't it? The the kind of the leap, you know, to, to that to to just to just come out with that. It's. I can't really remember anyone doing anything else sort of like that, uh, like just sort of going that kind of direction. The, the, the album, I guess, that comes to mind, it's a bit like that, it's Midnight Vultures by Beck. It's the only thing I can think of where someone who's kind of indie-ish is going to go, right, I'm going to sort of get into, like, funk and a bit more, or sort of... Tr- That's sort such of an interesting comparison. I like that. Okay. Yeah, and and quite successful with what he's doing to take that kind of mm. room. Because you I think you need to have that jeopardy there as well, don't you? Any anyone who's unsuccessful can try something different, but when you're fairly big news to kind of rip it up mm. and do something bold is is 
higher risk and therefore kind of a bigger move really yeah it's a it's a great record Wow, the enthusiasm you have for it is really shining through. <laughs> I love it, but it's like not a very, you know, music critic album to choose, is it? True. You know what I mean? But whatever. No, Sorry. <laughs> Um, so Juan, what, what if you, you're going to serve up something really obscure? Or are you going to surprise no, us? No, no. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I think this would probably be a choice that maybe people from the UK have a stronger opinion about. Um, but it is a pretty old album from almost forty years ago, and as you all know, I I like my music a lot of the times to be all the adjectives, like all the big adjectives, right? Like histrionic, bombastic, anthemic, a little earnest, right? Times a hundred. I mean, I tend to like that stuff a lot of the time. And weirdly, I had never heard The Crossing by Big Country from beginning to end. And this kind of came as a shock to me because, you know, I, obviously I've, I'd heard a million times the uh, the title, like the track in the big country, right? Because that's a pretty well-known song mm -hmm. and I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> hate it as well. Uh, but I don't know, I was trying to think why I never really discovered it. And I think what initially threw me off is that I tend to really hate when bands name song titles after the after their, the band names themselves or the projects. So I uh, just like, this is a little too much for me and I've never <laughs> really loved in a big country that much. But I think I was reading more about it and, and I heard it from beginning to end that I'm like, this is like the missing piece between like U2's War and Unforgettable Fire that I've always wanted, but without, you know, listening necessarily to U2. And now I was reading a little bit more about it. And it seems like the big selling point at the time is that they really wanted to dismiss the idea of, of writing an album without any synths in 1983. So they were kind of anti-synth, which is always a silly thing to say, uh, you know, just do it and it's fine. But I don't know, I'm, I'm glad they kept at it because the album aged, in my opinion, really, really well. And then I was trying to go through that rabbit hole a little bit. And, and then I saw that it came out a few months after war <laughs> and, and I can see it being sort of a direct influence, but at the same time, it can't be a coincidence because it, it, they're too close apart. But then I saw that their producer was uh, Steve Lillywhite who produced uh, U2's Unforgettable Fire. And now I'm like, oh, it, I'm sure that Bono probably got ideas from this album and then decided to make The, Unforg the Unforgettable Fire because it, there's, it, the, the correlation is too much there. And I don't know, it's something very much in the same vein, but yeah, The Crossing by Big Country really surprised me 39 years after it came out i wasn't even born but yeah a good one <laughs> that's um yeah you're really i mean you're speaking to me there with those u2 references um i'm <laughs> contemplating calling off the podcast to go and dive in now but now i only know the the title track or um but yeah that's um 
something I will I will give a a, a, a listen without too much prejudice um, and <laughs> see see if it sticks. Um, my pick. I also kind of went back to a, a similar era. Um, I, as Juan will know, I've spent the first six months of the year listening to copious amounts of power pop for a, a sort of a feature that we've been planning to write for about seven years now, I think, um, that we still haven't written, but we, we, we're we still hoping to. Um, but during the, the course of the research for this project, I think Juan and I have probably listened to every notable or semi-notable or even kind of peripheral and forgettable power pop album that there is um and one that i had taken a bit of time to get around to was by 2020 um i think the the general consensus is that their debut album the self-titled one is the stronger record but i um really got into um, the second record, which is from 1981, which was a great year because that was when I was born. Uh, it's the second record is called Look Out and it's the one with Nuclear Boy on. Um, yeah. And it's just such a, we were talking before um, a little bit about how patchy um, and spotty power pop albums can be. They've got the big single uh, and then some okay tracks and then some kind of forgettable ones and maybe even a couple of downright embarrassing ones but this is just a as their debut is as well um with perhaps one exception it's it's what? just a really really strong record and the exception i was half expecting one to pick for his uh yeah uh, when we were talking um about um forgettable songs uh, uh you know a little while ago um from good albums is 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 beat city isn't it the one that you that can't song. stand i hate that song and i was going to mention it uh, when we were talking about the other stuff but again we were getting in niche territory yeah but i hate that song it sounds like a car commercial <laughs> jingle hate but, it so much. aside from the and it really does and aside from that it's just a it's just a really really good album and anyone that thinks power pop is is forgettable singles based music um that that along with big star along with um stands for decibels um and a few others that is one of the undoubted high points of the genre so that is it we're going to kind of censor ourselves and stop talking about old music and kind of move on to what the the general gist of the podcast is and talk about some new releases um, Juan's looking pretty disappointed there. He wants to carry on talking about 80s power pop. No, not maybe at that's all. a side project. It's a <laughs> spin-off podcast for just the two of you. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah literally just the two of us, I think. No one, no one <laughs> listening at all. But in, in 10 years, or when we're retired and we actually get to writing that uh, feature. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, then we'll do it. So yeah, it seems it, inevitable. It, maybe for the sort of 70th anniversary, we'll we'll kind of pull something together. <laughs> oh gosh. But yeah, watch this space. That that might be coming at some point. Okay, so let's move on to the new music now. First up this time, we've got Joe's selection. This is Teen Jesus and the Gene Teasers with Girl Sports.
Thanks, Joe. That was uh, Teen Jesus and the Gene Teasers with Girl Sports, which comes from their um, EP, Pretty Good for a Girl Band, out now on Domestic Lala Records. Right, so tell us a little bit more about the band, Joe, and why you picked this one. Um, so I first started listening to this band um, uh, roughly, I would say, 100% because of the name. Um, I just saw them come up on Spotify as a potential band, and I thought, well, I, I have to find out what this band sounds like with a name like Teen Jesus and the Gene Teasers. So I knew nothing about them, and I started listening to them. Um, and it turns out they're good, which is helpful. Um, Yes, they're uh, a four-piece from Canberra. They're all um, horribly young. I think they're about 20, 21 years old. And I think there's been a few kind of Australian punk bands in the last couple of years um, that have kind of started to do okay overseas. So bands like The Chats or Amal and the Sniffers. And they are kind of more along the really kind of, sort of scuzzy Sex Pistols end of punk, whereas this is a lot more kind of um, radio-friendly pop punk. Um, kind of vibes and in terms of what it reminded me of um, I'm, I'm always wary of just like when you're making comparisons to a band not just to pick um, artists who are the same gender because that's a very lazy crap to fall into but I do think this, this did remind me of stuff like um, Joan Jett and um, the Donners as well who's a band I hadn't thought of for a while but they came to mind um, stuff like Riot Girl, um, it was a little bit of that, and it was obviously a lot more poppy than, than Riot Girl, but there's definitely, I think you can tell they've kind of listened to some of that stuff. Um, I, I don't know, um, I just think that with punk in particular, because it's kind of a sort of anti-establishment um, anti music, because it is this sort of kind of rebellion to it, there, there's been this extra dimension when you, you have a, a punk band made up entirely of women, so I think that's kind of why those um, artists came to mind a bit more with hopefully that's my explanation for hopefully making comparisons that don't sound so lazy um, but this song in particular I really really liked um, because it's just it's just very tongue-in-cheek it's very funny I mean the whole premise is um, like a guy's talking to them and sort of trying to tell them they'll be um, almost sort of trying to kind of compliment them but kind of just like negging them I think it's um, or give them advice I think the lyrics are and maybe you'd do better if you played girl sports and men would like you better if you didn't talk. Don't get me wrong, you're pretty good for a girl band, um, which I really liked. And I think that what did make me laugh in this song is that um, some of it is a quite sort of, you know, considered kind of put down of sexism and misogyny. And then it's just followed by the backing singers just chanting, fuck off, fuck off, which I quite like that sort of mixture of actual, you know, um, response to what's going on, to just the kind of like profane um, kind of chanting as well. Um, and then, because this is a podcast that looks at, you know, compares things to the past, I think this kind of, this track actually starts with what sounds like a cassette um, being, or a cassette player pressing play. And the first um, sort of few chords or the first few, first riff, it does kind of sound like it's coming in from another room and then kind of the, and the sort of audio effect makes really brings it to the front. And I also quite like the sort of punk thing of um, you hear them talking at the end of the track. I think one of them says something like, oh yeah, that was pretty sick or, some, or something like that. And which I quite like as well. There's that sort of real punk DIY feel to it. Um, I mean, as, you, as evidenced by my previous picks for this podcast and the three of you know me pretty well, no, this isn't generally my kind of thing. I tend to um, 
stick steer away from bands that are just guitar, bass, drummers, and vocals as a rule. Um, but there's just the I kind of like the sort of the spirit and the enthusiasm and the energy of this. Um, yeah, I think it was just something that really kind of captured me. And I've just I I think of all the songs that I picked for the podcast, this is probably the one that I have just kept on listening to the most. So that rather you know I'll find something and pick it and listen to it a few times and then by the time the podcast come around it's sort of I'm not really listening to it that much anymore because I've kind of moved on to something else but this is still in like really heavy rotation and the whole EP as well is really really great and so yeah I'm excited to see what they do next so that's yeah that is um the fantastically named Team Jesus and the Gene Teasers which is a real mouthful isn't it Gabby what did this this sounded like the quintessential Gabby pick. So I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to see what you thought of it. Um, I loved it, which comes as uh, no shock to anybody, I think. Um, I I kept forgetting that I did not choose this one. Um, and I don't think that it is odd or bad in any way to compare it to Riot Girl, Joe. Like this sounds, you know, very late era La Tigre to me, like through and through. I kept thinking of, um, oh, what was their what was their last record called? Um, the Silent, right? Where it was like way more poppy and um, a little more kind of genuine. Like that's what it kept reminding me of. Like these songs sound a lot like. TKO or whatever that song was. So that I think is a really apt comparison. And also I think it's pretty clear that they were directly influenced. So I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. Um, they also sound also, I think this is no coincidence, a lot like there are a couple of other um, Australian groups, like kind of pop punky, maybe kind of slightly pulpier bands. I think there's one called WAX. It's like all caps, W-A-A-X. That sounds yeah. a lot like this that I like a lot. Um, and I have a feeling they probably perform together or something. I cannot confirm or deny this, but I just have a sense that they're like similarly um, aged. <laughs> um, Australia is a very, very big country. I think- I True, think but they're very, it's, but think, they're like- and, Wax it from Brisbane, but also they, I would bet many, like they sound so similar and are the same age and like probably oh, have opened for each other. You know what I mean? Like 1300 and Confidence Man played together and you like, they are not similar. And uh, you know what I'm no, saying? Okay, so I don't feel bad suggesting that. Um, so, yeah, those are my thoughts. It is very tongue-in-cheek and very funny, and um, I enjoyed this. Well, it's not, it's not an LP, is it? It's an EP. Um, do they yeah. have a record um, yet? Like a full no, LP? No, they don't. Well, no. that will be exciting when um, they do. I think the, the reason I was kind of a bit hesitant to um, go in the sort of Riot Girl comparisons is, um, A, because it's not something I'm as familiar with as certainly you would you would be I kind of know you know I have a sort of surface level knowledge and also I was thinking a lot have you seen the film um Moxie 
which I think is on Netflix, and it's like a sort of Amy Poehler's in it, and it's oh um, no, I haven't for some yeah. reason. I want to. And yeah, and it's it's about um, um, so Amy Poehler plays the plays the mum, and her teenage daughter basically discovers um, Riot Girl basically, mm -hmm. and starts making um, makes a zine to distribute at school because of the like misogyny and sexism that's going at school going on at school, and then the daughter discovers that hey when Amy Poehler was her age she was also she was originally into like Riot Girl at the time and that's kind of a you know helps their relationship but it's it's a kind of a film targeted at teenagers and sort of young, young adults and it's good but there's a there's a little um it's a little bit sort of like my first Riot Girl kind of vibes mm -hmm. to it a little bit it's kind of like you've never heard of any of this incredibly rebellious music before wow yeah. it, it's I mean I'm obviously not the target audience for it, but I just wasn't sure that by just, um, yeah, I, I didn't, I thought it might be a little bit of a too lazy a comparison to go like, oh, girls with guitars, must be right, girls. But, <laughs> but it's not just that they're girls with guitars, it is specifically the kind of music they're playing. Mm. So mm. it's, in this case, it is apt. <laughs> Thank you for validating my comparison. <laughs> Much appreciated. But like I will say, they don't sound like um all right, girl. They they do sound poppier. They sound like that's why I mm -hmm. made the comparison that I did. Um so they don't sound like Bikini Kill, which I understand is also capping Hannah, but they sound like um they do sound like later popular Latigra. Yeah. Mm in my opinion. <laughs> Juan, what did you think? I don't really have a lot more to add outside of just mostly the emergence of, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure if this is an emergence because I'm sure that Australia has its long strain of punk, like punkier bands that I assume are kind of outside of that. We're trying to do something different than like stuff like Gang of Goose or like Stand Atlantic or stuff like that, right? Like bands that are a little bit more um, on the fringe and trying to do stuff that's a little bit more on the garagey site like this. I, I saw, you know, I heard a little bit of a garage influence too in here, which is, which is great. But I am, I am pretty familiar with uh, that scene that you were kind of mentioning, Joe, with uh, Amul and the Sniffler, uh, the Sniffers, which uh, do have a, some crossover in, in America. They do have, they're pretty well liked here as well. So um, so I, I'd love to hear more, you know, what they come up with next, because it's like one of those EPs that just like, you know, it gets right to the point and doesn't really intellectualize too much. And there is depth to it in, the, in some of the lyrical um, things that they're saying, but at the same time, the music itself is very, very breezy, but at the same time, very in your face, like, and I can always appreciate that from especially a band that from 20 year olds, like, that's what we should be hearing more of. So, mm. yeah, really nice, short and sweet. Really liked it. Yeah, I really liked it, too. I thought it was, uh, you know, a very calculated attempt by Joe to try and win this month's episode because you kind of took something geographically and thematically similar to to what won last time really with the um the body type song 
um, was covering very much similar ground, wasn't it? You know, um, it was also a response to 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 misogyny and and sort of you know what are you doing making music? You know, you need to learn to play your instruments. You need to stay in your lane, kind of thing. Um, Actually, good point. That's like a very similar theme. Yeah, it really is. Um, but at the same time, you know. It, it's a different band it's a different take on it it's a it's a cleaner sound i think to to body type and i wouldn't necessarily file them alongside each other otherwise um but i i really enjoyed it as much as i as that that thought entered my head initially i thought well it, it is pretty damn good really it's hard to argue with and i think out of all of the picks it's it's the one that has got that sort of you know you just keep coming back to it and it's it's you just want to keep playing it again and again it's just pretty much as perfect as as that brand of pop punk gets really so yeah really liked it and a very strong start joe well done um thank you uh, yeah Kat, not that you had no, anything no, to do with it just, but... no, no 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 i'll take the I owe you an apology, Gabby, because I've just looked this up and Team Jesus and the Gene Teasers supported Wax in concert three months ago. Hello. <laughs> no. Melbourne, yeah. I, I, I'll accept your it's apology. It's because Australia is just wild like, guess. It's really just a <laughs> yeah. tiny little island, isn't it? And everyone knows everyone. That's right, yeah. This just yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, it's huge, but people, <laughs> people only live on the... You know, on the on the outskirts. On the coast. Yeah, yeah, and we have to be careful because if we go too far, we fall off the edge of the map. So, that's, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, we kind of tend to stick here. Yeah, but I'm I imagine they're like life because we've had because we've had a com I guess there's been I've seen quite a few conversations recently about bands that are this new um, have probably if you're a new band you probably you normally would have spent you know a lot of time gigging and sort of doing the circuit and stuff. But if you're a band yeah. of twenty year olds the live music scene hasn't really existed in its normal form in the time that you've been a band so um i guess it's been a little bit different in australia because i think a lot of the lockdowns weren't as severe um because especially in 2020 when um there was like the COVID zero policy in australia but um yeah it'd be quite interesting to know and this is a, probably like a wider point just generally what um, what they're like live because mm -hmm. they probably haven't built up as much experience gigging and so on as you would have expected I don't know much about Australian um, like live music scene and stuff, but I, I, I'm suspecting Canberra isn't a huge epicenter for for live music. Is that is that a, uh, an accurate Canberra comment? Isn't or? a huge. It's not a huge epicenter for anything. Yes, that was <laughs> so my that was my impression yeah, from afar. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's an administrative capital city, really. So I think um, yeah, it's. And it's actually not very big either. So, yeah, yeah I, th I think it's quite, I, I would, I mean, anywhere that's got a few thousand people has got a scene of sorts, mm. I'm sure, you know, arts and so on. But yeah, it's not a, a, an emerging bustling hub or anything, I don't think. And you're actually, even though the whole reason it's the capital is because it's equidistant from Sydney and Melbourne, but you're still about a four or five hour drive to both of those cities right. from there. Okay. So, so yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, presumably they're they're looking to escape. It probably also means that all their parents are politicians as well. But <laughs> I don't know that. <laughs> I'm just casting aspersions now. But that's um, a that's a yeah, dirty rumor to spread about a young band. Isn't it is. It? It <laughs> we is. shouldn't tend them exactly. Just, 
they might just be they might just be civil servants um <laughs> but uh, i would imagine yeah they're looking to kind of get out to sydney or melbourne and kind of base there i don't think you're probably not going to achieve world domination based in based in canberra i wouldn't have. no good well thanks for that um really enjoyed that i think we all did so we're going to move on um and listen to your pick next gabby so um do you want to tell us what you picked and then we'll have a Uh, listen surely um i picked the new album from yaya bay the album is called remember your north star and i believe i picked the song keisha you did so let's have a listen to that now things first i'm the one and the two and the three i saw the others they'll never be me show me one thing that's been worth risking me babe why you not like nice things That was Yaya Bey with Keisha from Remember Your North Star, which is out now on Big Dada Records. Right, Gabby, tell us a little bit um, about your reasons for for picking this record. Sure. So this is not my typical typical style either. Um, I don't listen to that much R&B, but this is, I would say, like on the surface, an R&B record. But as you get into it more, I realized that it's actually balancing many genres and very smoothly at that. Um, So it's jazz and soul and reggae, and they all kind of um, meld together. um, And it's done just so beautifully, I think. Um, I think it's a very conversational album, and that also makes it a very vulnerable and poignant album Um, and it just pulls the listener in and out of her life um, in these scenes like it takes you from the bedroom to the dance floor to um, like the city New York City on a hot summer day it's just done very um, smoothly and I'm not really one to notice lyrics necessarily either, but it's um, hard not to on this record. Um, And it's also just very clever as well. Like you don't realize like how excoriating some of it is at times. Um, And it's also interesting because she does that kind of undulating thing of pulling you in and out of the story not just with the words, but with her voice as well. Um, Like the tone, the register, the effects that are done on the voice, like in production, I guess. Um, And yeah, I just was really blown away by it. Like the more and more I listened to it, the more the whole record, not just this track, um, the more I loved it. Um, This track specifically, I would say, um, is interesting because I think in the, in the clip that you played, it, we didn't get that far, but it gets like 
um, a little vulgar, but in a very like funny way, um, at least again on the surface, but then you realize that that's actually being both like this swaggering confidence, but underneath it, it's actually quite self-conscious. Um, and I just, I love that. It's like an album full of these juxtapositions. So uh, musically, I think the obvious comparisons are probably Erica Badu and Lauren Hill. Like those are the clear touchstones. And I, I'm gonna let Joe talk a lot more about <laughs> the other comparisons because this is, I think on this episode, he chose a record that makes more sense for me and I chose a record that makes more sense yeah, for him. Totally. And I just, um, but I just, uh, well, for me, I thought actually a, a more obvious or not quite as obvious rather of a, a influence here was some jazz standards like Billie Holiday um, where there were certain tracks, um, I forget the name, of it, I should pull it up. I think it's called maybe Rolling Stone or something like that, where she intros the song like fully, like pure Billy Holiday, um, and it's gorgeous. So I love it. It just, it's such a beautiful record. I'm really excited to introduce you guys to her. I don't think I introduced Joe to her, but um, he just knows this stuff. So, but everyone else, I love it. I can't believe I didn't know about her before. So that's all. Uh, Go on, Joe. Yeah. I, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, Gabby's already made the point. I was going to say, yeah. Um, she kept forgetting she hadn't picked my pick, and I keep forgetting I hadn't picked this um, because <laughs> I was, yeah, I was already a, I was already a fan of this record. I think it's. Um, I do. I can just imagine it's one of these records that you're just going to keep coming back to in like in in years. In years and years and I think it's um I, I don't know how to really sort of describe this that well but it's it seems like an album from someone who's got like a really good sort of knowledge and appreciation of just kind of like the history of music and pop music because that that Billy Holiday comparison is a really really good one um I hadn't even even thought of that but just like um the you know the kind of the soul the R&B elements in there there's just like little sort of snippets of other things there it's a little bit of a it's kind of a little bit of a tour through the the history of music in, in that sense although not but you know with a very common theme running through it um yeah lyrically like you say you can just enjoy it kind of on the surface but I, every time I've listened to it like different lines different songs just kind of jump out to me I think you say this song Keisha is kind of the the obvious one um and yeah, probably partly because of the lyrics of the chorus which yeah uh no spoilers but it's quite attention grabbing um i mean yeah in terms of comparisons yeah straight off the bat erica badu was the one that i thought of um but it's but that's kind of musically lyrically you know it's um because it's so kind of autobiographical, autobiographical and she's not afraid to be vulnerable yeah. with it as well um then that that's very different to Erica Badu. I think it's it's kind of like lyrically more Lauren Hill, but musically more Erica Badu, um, and some of the other kind of neo soul stuff as well. So things like um, uh, like D'Angelo is probably another another one as well. Um, I thought the two other sort of names that came to uh, my mind is one is this is kind of what I wanted the Arlo Parks record to sound like the Arlo Parks record from um last year That's i think collapsing sunbeams um yeah which i like and that does kind of sort of 
is autobiographical and deals with like a range of themes but I felt that was still quite sort of on the on the tasteful side and didn't really kind of um musically was very sort of safe whereas I think this is kind of what I was hoping that record would be and the other record that came to mind from this is um the first Amy Winehouse record just mm -hmm. in that very the way it's kind of very sort of brash and unapologetic about what it's talking about um and just like lots of it's it's the it's the storytelling it's the um you know some of it is obscured but there are just very sort of specific details in the lyrics about things it's it's quite clearly based on real events rather than just general emotions or feelings you know the individual sort of days and things that have happened which is very much like frank the first amy whitehouse record which has also got that similar sort of theme of um drawing from lots of different parts of sort of musical history um i just remember that amy whitehouse record um I remember reading the liner notes, it, you know, we're all old enough to remember what they are. Um, and it just basically, you know, the the, fa the thanks section of that record is just like a list of like amazing artists, basically. I mean, you know, it does the usual thank my family kind of thing, but then it just kind of goes into and Carol King and the Beastie Boys and Donny Hathaway and D'Angelo. And it's just like this, it's just like a list of absolutely like fantastic artists. You're like, oh yeah, I can actually kind of see where you're sort of drawing from there and you really, you really kind of know what you're talking about and I think this is similar to that although it doesn't sound like it's not sort of just stealing bits from other artists or genres from the sake of it it was very very cohesive um and I think I've talked about on a previous podcast with kind of <laughs> with wet leg this is I am going somewhere this I know they obviously, obviously says nothing like wet leg um that I feel like the wet leg album is amazing but I kind of that's I almost feel like that's it. You don't need another wet leg record now because you you know what they do and everything else. I mean, they may surprise me, but everything else is just going to be a retread of that. Whereas this is so rich and so kind of diverse and interesting that like, I'm hoping there's like another 10 albums from Yaya Bay that just so I can kind of spend more time getting to know her and the world and Sorry, I don't mean she teaches me about the world. I mean her world. Um, <laughs> and, um, because she's just such a fantastic storyteller. And so it's musically, it is, you know, huge dick in the box. It couldn't be more up my street. But um, yeah, that, that storytelling element as well is what really, really makes it something to keep coming back to repeatedly, I think. So yeah, I liked it. In case you, had <laughs> yeah. you thought it was fine. Yeah, yeah it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fun. Fine. Phew, tough act to follow, huh? Yeah, um, yeah, we're going to be pretty, pretty peripheral of this podcast, I think, because these guys just have started picking <laughs> music for themselves. That's, no, that's, <laughs> I, th yeah. I think we do sort of do the same thing in a similar yeah. fashion. But, <laughs> um, no, but it, it's no, but in in all honesty, uh, it's been a long while since any sort of neo soul record has captured my attention like this one. And oh. it's probably especially her uncompromising approach, not only her storytelling, but also her choices are very dynamic. I love that her voice is very sweet and it's very soothing as well. There's a, con even if it's, right, it's kind of experimental parts, but there's a consistency to the album that 
I think it would make it a disservice to call it experimental because the more traditional Neo-Soul is really good, but when you actually listen to other tracks, I wrote the names here, Don't, don't Effing Call Me, kind of has like an Afro-Antillian influence. Me, me in Brooklyn also is doing something a little bit different as well. And so I feel like it's more uh, taking chances and being experimental in spirit rather than in form, I felt. And I really appreciate when artists do that. And I haven't dug into the lyrics as much as you guys have, but I definitely will because I, I do love that kind of conversational aspect. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I like Arla Parks. I also reviewed her album last year. So um, this is this could fall under things that I do like as well. So, but I feel like outside of maybe somebody like Arla, who's a slightly more sanitized in some ways this artist Jaja Bay is a little bit more uncompromising and I like that fourth rightness so yeah that's my take thanks yeah I mean there's really very little to add now <laughs> um except to say that yeah I really enjoyed it as well it's it's sort of superficially if you if you don't really sort of dive into it deep and just have it on in, in the background. It's it's lovely and and really nice, um, but if you really sort of invest the time, there's that depth there to it. And like you say, it's kind of challenging in a you know in a in a in a way that doesn't detract from that superficial loveliness of it as well, which which makes it kind of just a great record for for all settings and. Uh, I think it's it's going to be one of the records of the year, I reckon. For, you know, and mm -hmm. and like yeah. Joe said, there are things that you listen to, and you you know you won't be listening to them in in five years' time. I I, I don't think you'll be putting on that wet leg record to go back to that right. in five <laughs> years' time, thinking, yeah, this is what I want to listen to maybe for like a little nostalgia hit, but this won't be nostalgia. I think you'll play this because you, you still want to listen to it and maybe you're still finding some some extra depths to it. Um, so it it's just felt like- It's a strong record. Yeah, it just feels like mm -hmm. a really special record and kind of so familiar in parts and so effortless in melding all these genres together that you kind of think why is no one else doing this but then you kind of when you really appreciate the depth of it you realize because maybe no one else is is because it's not easy and maybe no one else has this particular skill set um so yeah really 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 strong pick and i think juan has got his work cut out <laughs> if he's gonna top that oh, yeah yeah and but um, but that doesn't matter. It's it's just yeah, really really strong stuff. So then we all really enjoyed that. And Joe's kicking himself because he's like, damn, I could have picked that. I tried to do something different, and then <laughs> so did mind, I. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Swinging, yeah. Right. So um, let's move on to you, Juan. Follow that. What have you chosen for us? I chose something that's probably more on the insular side and something that uh, is more inward and tailored to my taste. So I don't, I don't know if I necessarily came with the idea of necessarily winning this time, but uh, yeah, I should introduce it first, right? The band is called Lawn 
and the song is called Down, and the album is called uh, Bigger Sprout. Tell us a little bit more about Lawn. Uh, yeah, so Lawn is a duo from New Orleans, which is not something that you typically hear normally in New Orleans, right? It's the birthplace of uh, jazz, for instance, right? So it's like the kind of, uh, not the type of music that you typically associate with necessarily coming from, from New Orleans, which is, I think makes is all the better, right? Uh, but it's not what you'd normally associate. But I think the impression that you get when you listen to Dawn at first down is that, yeah, it has a relaxed and jangly melodic sense, right? With a little bit of a dollop of garagey flair. But if you dig in a little bit more, they're actually trying to convey in the track just kind of the importance of working on yourself. And if you're able to, and if you're able to get out of that funk sooner rather than later, you know, try to capitalize on that and take a chance and try to tackle that with haste, right? Because life is short in a lot of ways, which is a, a kind of a theme that permeates throughout the whole album. Um, but yeah, I definitely chose something more in my sweet spot. I I I I love the this kind of music that has a very keen melodic sense. And yeah, it jangles, but I don't think it necessarily does for the sake of it because the song itself has these melodic prog progressions throughout that get more interesting as it progresses. It get, as it progresses. And I and and, and the nostalgia factor of it, it does remind me a little bit in the vein of like somebody like Mark Mulcahy or projects like Polaris and Miracle Legion that are that are more on the janglier side, but also with the, that suburban sense, right? Even the even the band is called Lawn, so it does conjure that image of nostalgia in a way as well. But the rest of the EP does surprise you. It's not only like a chill jamboree fest or a band trying to do real estate and it's all chill, right? It's like the album taps into like power pop. They like Kiwi pop a lot. There's like jerky sing speak kind of post-punk throughout the record as well uh, because they're big Wire fans as well. Um, so yeah, there's a few curves here and there. So it, it's not your garden variety kind of jangle, but, but yeah, that's mostly what I like about this track and the band overall. Yeah, I mean, I periodically get messages from you saying you'll really like this band, check them out. And this is uh, the type of 
band you would send me isn't it and and it, it's it's a sort of can't miss thing really you you know that I'm gonna be enjoying this kind of music I think last year it was the the Kiwi Junior record and there's some similarities with this I think and it, it takes me back yeah the the bands you mentioned um it reminded me a little bit of um Preston School of Industry which was some um, spiral wow. stairs from pavements post pavement project it had a similar sort of jangle and uh, a, a little hint of melancholy as well um that reminded me of that band which like given that I rarely think about that band was <laughs> was bizarre but just that that happened in the way that sometimes music does evoke the past um and I really yeah I really liked it I think there's something just really warm and low-key enjoyable about it that makes you want to come back um it doesn't blow you away at first but it pulls you in progressively and wins you over and I, I like that about this type of music Gabby yes I'm like annoyed Juan that you didn't pick that this is the song you chose <laughs> because the best one clearly is Nightlight and yeah, that's a good track too like I I wrote down when I was because I listened to the whole well is it an is it an album or is it whatever I it's an to, album yeah it's a short it album. album yeah it's just it's okay it's just, between, just really so short seven that's why I was confused I was like this is very short but I feel like it's an LP but um I I was I was trying to jot some notes down with you I, as far as I managed was on one side of the page psych rock and on the other side of the page post punk <laughs> um, <laughs> And like by leaps and bounds, like I know that the song you play, as I really like this album, but my least favorite song was the one you played. I don't yeah. dislike it. <laughs> I, I just, every time I spun the album, because I listened to it, I think thrice. And that song, Nightlife, every time I was like, this is so good. And I would, then it would like start over again. I'd be like, this first song, man. Um, it's just not, it's such, it's like a, almost like a different band is playing it. Mm -hmm. So and when you said that, with it's similar to, to pick oh yes, song, yes, you, you, need, you need Gabby sort of helping. Well, no, it. it's just Juan and I, well, <laughs> I think that I was going to say Juan and I always like the same bands, but different songs. Yeah. Um, by them that happens a lot with us. I, and I think that was yeah. evidenced earlier when we were talking about <laughs> Um, this like well everyone agreed with me <laughs> like you yeah arcade fire for crying out loud but anyway go on I'm sorry I interrupted no man I don't know maybe I'm a deep cut so I don't I don't but down sounds <laughs> yeah. very down sounds apropos to like a song like running my luck for instance so I don't think it's necessarily out of character with the rest of the album no it's just yeah. not completely it's just like I, it was just I think maybe it's nightlife that's so different from the rest yeah. of I think that's what it is mm -hmm. um is it sung by someone else like it just the vocal no, sounds I don't, different I don't think so I, I might be wrong but it's only two guys it's so only two it's, guys yeah. I didn't realize that that's cool but yeah when you said that wire is a big influence that was that like clicked for me completely so but I like it short version i like it <laughs> <laughs> yeah joe have you got anything to add i think that this um i only listen 
listen to some of the the whole album i i do really like this track i think there's something it's almost quite comforting that within about five seconds you're like okay i know what this track's gonna do and then, and then it does it and it does it really well and it's right that there's a lot of charm to that um and i think um my songs like because i i'm not quite as well versed in this kind of stuff um i just um listening to this kind of music always makes me just want to go and put on it's a shame about ray um, because that's like my kind of sort of platonic ideal of the kind of nice sort of poppy, jangly kind of, you know, quite summary record, even though I realise based on what you're saying about the lyrical content part isn't exactly, um, isn't exactly appropriate necessarily for this. But yeah, as soon, and again, as soon as I put it on, I was just like, oh yeah, this is, this is one to pick. This is like, it reminded me of those um, sort of New Zealand bands that you like quite a lot as well. Um, but then, yeah, when the album does progress and you're saying it's got that sort of, talky singing thing kind of going on i was quite surprised when um yeah it, i just assumed the whole record would be this kind of um you know quite slight very slightly distorted but still quite sweet kind of jangly sound and then track start and it sounds a bit more like something like jonathan richmond or something like that and yeah. um which was quite a departure i was expecting this kind of you know, slacker vibe to just kind of run throughout. So that's, so yeah, there's definitely more, there's definitely more to them than I would have thought from this track, even though I did like, like this track as well. Yeah, so yeah, all positive things to say about that. Uh, I haven't listened to the album enough, so I'm going to definitely dig it a, a bit deeper because I like the sound of what Gabby was talking about, really. And, you, know, you you had me with wire as well when you mentioned that not enough not enough bands trying to sound like wire in my opinion right uh, so my i'm gonna go last my pick um doesn't sound like wire on that note but um i you know i think i took a little bit of an influence from joe uh, he's been bigging up all the australian bands i think gabby you had a had a philly band on and i have not been doing anything to really further the reputation of Sheffield as a hotbed for new music. Um, in fact, thinking back to all my time writing about music on the website, I can't remember the last time I wrote anything positive about an artist from Sheffield, although I did obviously like the, the self-esteem record last year. Right. I haven't actually put myself out there and recommended anything local, so that is disgraceful. Um, and I'm going to remedy that by uh, recommending a band that has roots in Sheffield, although they're based in Devon now in the southwest of the UK. Um, the band is called Pale Blue Eyes, and the song I've chosen comes from their uh, debut album, Sylvaneers, and it's called Globe.
So that was Globe by Pale Blue Eyes. Um, the album is coming out in September. It's not quite out yet, um, but about half of the tracks have been been sort of released and trailed already. So you'll be able to listen to a good portion of it on the streaming platform of your choice. Um, and it'll be coming out on full-time hobby uh, in September. So um, what drew me to this band was uh, a press release um, that I received. Um, and it just kind of popped into my lap, really. I was taken in by the fact that the um, one of the band members uh, wrote her dissertation on Sheffield's alternative music scene in the mid-70s with a special focus on Cabaret Voltaire. And I just thought, what an awesome dissertation. And I hope that's the liner notes for the debut album as well. But (laughs) when I read that, I just thought, I have to hear this band. And they're named after a Velvet Underground song. It's like, this is designed for me. Um, So they didn't sound like the Velvet Underground and they don't particularly sound like Cabaret Voltaire either. but there is an electronic influence there. There's a, I thought a, a sort of a combination really of of upbeat synth pop. The the bassline had me kind of thinking of of New Order, that kind of bouncy melodic bassline. Uh, vocally, elements of dream pop there as well. So it was just a nice kind of fusion of of a lot of different genres and styles that I like. Um, the tracks that I've heard so far show a, a real degree of range as well. I think like a lot of bands releasing debuts now, um, they've had a hell of a lot of time to kind of tinker around in the studio and, and really flesh out what their vision is going to be. There was, you know, not so many opportunities to play live and, and develop, but conversely, that meant more time to to play around with effects and electronics in the studio and really really get that sound nailed down. And this very much sounds like a, a band that has germinated and, and developed in, in the studio setting. They've got their own studio that they funded by doing various part-time jobs as well. So they've put the work in, they've really honed their sound. Um, and I, I think they've come up with something pretty special. Hopefully you guys agree. Um, who wants to, to kick us off? Um. Okay, I was going to say there's, um, it's funny because it does sound quite sort of fresh and modern, but I can also imagine this track actually being like a proper sort of bona fide chart hit like 40 years ago or so. And I think it is because it does sound like New Order, like you say, um, but it's got that real sort of drive behind it, which um, which I really like. Um, there's, it's interesting, that, I know you've you kind of trailed this as being a, a Sheffield band, but um, I noticed you said they're now based in Devon, but they're in, in Totnes, which is like a very small town in Devon, which has got a sort of very kind of, it's kind of known for its sort of alternative sort of artsy scene. Only about kind of 8,000 people live there, but yeah. there, there's lots of like festivals and stuff, and it's um, unusually for the UK, at least. Um, I don't know if this is still the case, but I remember there was, they had protests there when they tried to open a Starbucks and things. They're very much sort of independent focus, trying to keep the big chains out kind of thing, which um, there aren't quite as many Starbucks in the UK as there are in America, but like that's still a big thing to not have one in a town of that size, yeah. I think. And also um, it is, Topness is where Metronomy are from, which mm. I don't know if that kind of meant that I was then trying to find the link between them because I knew they were from based in the same town, but that kind of, 
um, sort of pop music that is forwards looking, but at the same time does look back at the sort of history of electronica. I think there's a kind of link there as well. Um, I really like this. It's interesting you mentioned the vocals as well, saying dream pop, because I kind of wanted the vocals to be a bit kind of beefier and like maybe a little bit um, lower in tone. I feel like that would have kind of been a, a nice sort of counterpoint because the music kind of races along and it is a bit sort of ethereal. And I think the vocals were almost too, too similar to that. And I think if you were to put something a little bit with a bit of a deeper register, um, something along, I don't know, I guess, I guess then they'd probably sound a bit more like someone like Future Islands or something like that. But I think that would actually be quite a good sort of counterpoint to the, to the music, but um, I'm, I'm now being very mean because I'm just basically <laughs> criticizing the guy's tone of voice, which is uh, just not, not really my intention, but I did overall really like it. And I can imagine, um, yeah, I'll definitely give that album a listen when it, when it comes out, because I can imagine that that'll be um, quite a lot of variation and interesting stuff on there. Thanks, Gabby. Um, you mentioned metronomy. I thought I had read something about a link and one of the band members, like one of their parents played drums with met someone in metronomy or something like that. Like there is a link. <laughs> so I thought that I don't it's know a small town. Well, it, you? Yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> it's such a small town that there'd, there'd almost have to be a link, wouldn't they? You know. So um, I don't actually have that much to add, except that this was like, I don't well, maybe not far and away, but this is my favorite selection of the of this month. So we'll so, let you choose the winner this month, perhaps. Because <laughs> it'll be you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I kind of feel a bit I, I left out. It. But... Oh, <laughs> yeah, you need you you deserve a chance. Um, <laughs> I also had written down Cabaret Voltaire. I, like I think yeah. there are some similarities. Yeah. So that's funny that that actually like was in the press release we had. I also I do think that it sounds a lot. Um, I think I have a or I started a playlist at one point of like new music that sounds like it belongs in other decades, and this would totally work there because um, it sounds like some of the sort of dreamier early 80s synth pop right like I don't know Roxy music or talk talk <laughs> yeah um, or, or all the amazing stuff that was coming out of Sheffield in that era as well <laughs> oh my god yeah, <laughs> yeah. stuff I don't know is <laughs> yeah so I mean yeah it's interesting isn't it because obviously um she did her dissertation on the on the 70s um scene in Cabaret Voltaire but I thought there was a lot of that early 80s kind of you know, new pop synth pop kind of stuff thrown in oh, there as well really Roxy I mean, music is 70s too right like yeah it spans yeah but it, <laughs> it, 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 yeah <laughs> the, the, the influences obviously span wider than the dissertation I guess this is part two you know the <laughs> I guess I think with Cabaret Voltaire are kind of like the sort of the forefathers of that kind of new pop scene though, yeah. I guess yeah. so even though so they kind of sound like a uh, pale blue um I sound like a band from the early 80s who would have been inspired by Cabaret Voltaire yeah. at the time. That's it. Putting yes. more of a pop spin on <laughs> on on it yeah mm. for sure. 
Yeah, I, Sorry, and I, I know. I looked up the, the base. The base player. The base player's dad played with Joe Mank from Metronomy in a previous incarnation of the band. So this, yeah, this means so there must also... mean the band of yeah. There must be thirteen. Yeah. Yeah. This is another theme, isn't it? It's, you know, you start focusing on new music, it makes you feel really incredibly oh. old. Um, yeah, so I'm claiming them for Sheffield, but of course they are a Devon band with with some roots in Sheffield and, and an influence <laughs> from Sheffield, but that'll do, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's the only thing I could find. Um, Juan? did you have a take it's, on it no no it's just very interesting that we all have kind of different ears when listening to <laughs> sorry that's lines. your nice way of saying you don't like it <laughs> no no it's uh, because having the context of some of the other tracks i haven't heard i think i have this promo david but i haven't listened to it yet but what's interesting is that there is a lot of a synthier aspect but if i am going to um, if I will focus on this track, it definitely has more of like an 80s kind of chart topping rock flair, like a UK flair, right? Like very Echo and the Bunny Man meets the cult in a way, <laughs> kind of like meshing pop elements, but it has a slightly gothy flair. Mm -hmm. And if they ever do a remake of Lost Boys, they should definitely like consider them for the soundtrack. Um, I do have a little gripe about this song though, and small one, but I don't love when like the chorus, like after like the bridge and stuff, and then there's like a isolated voice that goes, I got this, and then it gets interspersed into the mix. Like I yeah. feel like they could have like taken that out. It annoys me a little bit. And it's not meant to be a dig, it just kind of threw me out from the more sensual, gothy moodiness and the drivey yeah. melody. It felt a little Americanized to me as well, um, you know, when it's musically feels quite British, you know, as well. I, I just seemed a little incongruous. I, I, I yeah. also kind of also mm -hmm. felt that, but, you know, I thought the, 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 the really good stuff about it sort of outweighed that like minor. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I'm looking forward to hearing the whole thing. I will definitely try to listen to it sooner rather than later. Um, so yeah, that wraps wraps up the new music picks for for this month, and I think this was um, collectively probably my favorite set of four songs. I think we've had really good good picks um, throughout, but the, these four tracks were probably um, the strongest set for me, which makes picking a picking a winner really really tough. Um, thinking thinking of the songs, I. I before we'd started, I'd, I'd already kind of thought about what the likely winner was, and I had a good idea. Um, and then listening to the discussion, I think, solidified that. And I think, Gabby, you are the winner again. And this therefore... time I think I earned it. Yeah. Last time I didn't, but this time I did. <laughs> oh, I think I think you did. I, I, I stand by my choice last time, but um, I think... Last time in my heart. <laughs> I think this was a deserved win. And I was, you know, I wasn't a, a million miles of, I, I think you, you would have come second, Joe, because um, I, I, I just kept playing that song, but thinking about mm. the strength of the, the overall record and, the, and the, the way that I think we'll all be coming back to that and appreciating it um, over a longer period of time kind of trumped the immediacy of your um, pick. 
Um, and I, I loved your pick too, Juan. It's nothing, nothing personal. Um, but I think you just picked something you liked rather than playing the game, and that has to be saluted as well, really. Um, yeah, like, yeah, it's like Django is going through a hard time right now. I have to represent. In, yeah, you do. You know, someone's form. someone's got to, and these two definitely aren't going to yeah. be doing that. So. <laughs> these two, <laughs> these two, <laughs> the other two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, yeah, that concludes uh, another another episode of Quarantine in the Past. We'll be back uh, in a month or so uh, with more of the same. Thanks for listening. <laughs>